0: The day was hot, the sky crystal blue. Surrounded by thousands of faces that shimmered in the heat, she stood alone, the first of her kind. Many came to see her fail in her quest, this young upstart who challenged the old guard. Others silently cheered her on, curious as to just how far she could go. This was her time. And it had been a long time coming. Head held high, she stood tall, towering over the others who stood before her. She was here for one reason, and one reason only, to take her rightful place among the royalty who had come before her. She was here, standing by herself under the hot August sun, because every court needs a queen you mm-hmm. Hello my Bright Lighters, welcome back to another episode of the Aquitaine Project. I'm Marlo Mead, your host, guide, and fellow traveler on a journey where together we'll explore the stories and legacies of women past and present, women I like to call my Bright Lighters, and discover the incredible wisdom they have to share. For me, these women transcend time, teaching us lessons we can use in our own lives each and every day. If you're ready to learn a little, grow a little, laugh a little, and shine a lot, stay right here. Be your soul. It doesn't matter where you come from. What matters is do you have the drive, the determination, and the heart? To get to where you want to go. On August 22, 1950, the daughter of sharecroppers became the first black player to compete in the United States National Championships, known today as the U.S. Open. Her first step onto the grass court at the West Side Tennis Club at Forest Hills would set her on a path no black athlete, male or female, had ever traveled making her the first to cross the color line of international tennis. Her natural talent, combined with a fierce determination to one day be somebody, opened the door for future generations of black tennis players to achieve their own dreams of playing on the most famous tennis courts around the world. But as gifted as she was, this bright lighter didn't reach the top of her sport alone. Coaches, supporters, community leaders, and one very special champion opened the door for her, and she took it from there. This episode, the great Althea Gibson, Queen of the Court, asks us if we're game enough to be the best. While growing up in Harlem, little Althea Gibson played paddle tennis on a section of 143rd Street between Lenox and 7th Avenue's. By the time she was twelve years old, she was the New York City women's paddle tennis champion. The year was 1939, and this tall, skinny little black girl was a champion in the making, but it would be a long, hard road to the top. Althea grew up in the streets. Her dad, who was a rough character, taught her how to box when she was a teenager. He would physically fight her to toughen her up because, as he told her, life was hard and the only way to survive was to be stronger and meaner than the other guy. As a result, Althea developed a fierce, on court demeanor. She didn't like school much, but loved sports and was a natural athlete. In 1941, a group of her neighbors had taken up a collection to finance a junior membership and lessons for her at the Cosmopolitan Tennis Club in the Sugar Hills section of Harlem. Incredibly, just a year after picking up a racket for the first time, Althea won a local tournament sponsored by the American Tennis Association, an African-American organization established to promote and sponsor tournaments for Black players. Two prominent members of the ATA took a special interest in Althea's career. They supported her financially and helped her refine her skills. She won back-to-back ATA titles in 1944 and 45, and in 1949, she became the first black woman to play in the United States Tennis Association National Indoor Championships, where she reached the quarterfinals, earning her a full-ride scholarship to Florida A&M. Despite her growing reputation as an elite-level player, she was effectively barred from entering the premier American tournament the United States National Championship at Forest Hills. Let's face it, tennis was considered a white, upper-class sport, and while USTA rules officially prohibited racial or ethnic discrimination, players qualified for the nationals by accumulating points at sanctioned tournaments, most of which were held at white-only clubs. Althea grew more and more frustrated, as it seemed her promising tennis career would fall victim to the racism and prejudice of the times. And the reality was, tennis was just as segregated as U.S. society. But in 1950, Althea's life was about to change dramatically, all due to an article written by one Alice Marble, former number 1 ranked and four-time champion, who was disgusted and ashamed that her sport would deny a player of Althea's caliber the chance to compete in the world's greatest tournaments. Okay. I don't usually talk about two women in one episode, but sisters, Alice Marble is a bright lighter in her own right, and I really think without her intervention, Althea's story might have turned out much differently. So here's what happened. Alice was so fed up with the institutional racism of women's tennis and the fact that it prioritized racism over talent, that in July of 1950, she wrote a letter that was published in the American Lawn Tennis Magazine. In the article, Alice championed Althea's rights to play in any and all tournaments she qualified for, just the same as any other tennis player. You can find a link to the entire letter and the letters Alice and Althea exchanged on Althea's page at wwwtheaquitaineproject.com website. But let me read you my favorite parts, and I quote, I think it's time we face a few facts. If tennis is a sport for ladies and gentlemen, It's also time we act more like gentle people and less like sanctimonious hypocrites. If there is anything left in the name of sportsmanship, it's more than time to display what it means to us. If Althea Gibson represents a challenge to the present crop of women players, it's only fair that they should meet that challenge on the courts where tennis is played. Alice goes on to say, We can accept the evasion. Ignore the fact that no one will be honest enough to shoulder the responsibility for Althea Gibson's probable exclusion from the Nationals. We can just not think about it, or we can face the issue squarely and honestly. You tell them, Alice. At the end of her letter, Alice reaches out directly to Althea, writing, speaking for myself, if I can improve her game or merely give her the benefit of my own experience, as I have with many other young players, I'll do it. If I can give her an iota more confidence by rooting my heart out for her in the gallery, she can take my word for it. I'll be there. Alice Marble's letter was the most powerful serve of her career. Her words, carefully crafted and sharply delivered, hit women's tennis in its weakest point, its insidious racism. Shortly after the publication of Alice's letter, at 23 years old, Althea Gibson became the first black player to receive an invitation to the Nationals, where she made her Forest Hills debut. Although she lost in a close match to Louise Bra, the reigning Wimbledon champion and former U.S. National winner, her very presence on the court changed the game forever. After Althea lost at the U.S. Nationals, Alice and Althea would exchange open letters in the American Lawn Tennis magazine, and in her letter to Althea, Alice offers this advice. To sum it up, Althea, you are blessed with more natural ability than any woman on the courts today. You're a bold player and you have the rare spark. Without discounting the years you have given to this labor of love, I tell you now that you must work even harder to gain the mechanics and the fundamentals, to harness those assets and direct them into the proper channels in order to become a champion worthy of the name. Forget the people forget you're almost upset to Miss Brawl, which is past history. Concentrate on learning and playing the very best tennis of which you are capable, and that's fine tennis indeed. Don't bother to tell them who you are. Prove it. See you in 1951 on the center court, I hope. Sincerely, Alice Marble. In her response to Alice, Althea publicly thanked her for her support in writing the original letter that secured her invitation to the U.S. National Tournament and expressed regret for all the negative fallout Alice received as a result. Althea also shared with Alice a bit about her personal story and identified all the people that helped her establish her tennis career and talked about the lessons she had learned along the way. My favorite part of Althea's letter reads, "Miss Marble, I learned a wonderful lesson from the defeat. I was defeated by experience. That's why I didn't feel bad when Miss Bra beat me. She used her experience and confidence to outthink and outplay me. I agree Miss Bra had every right to win and I was pulling for her to win the tournament. I'm making such a big deal about these letters because what Althea experienced from the outspoken support of Alice Marble to the loss of Lois Bra and the acceptance from the many women she played against and with was an example of true sisterhood, the sisterhood of women tennis players. Sisters, it is amazing what we can achieve when we cheer each other on, champion each other's rights and support each other's dreams. Althea would tell us, no matter what accomplishments you make, somebody helped you. Althea and Alice are an amazing example of the power of sisterhood. Now for the rest of Althea's story. In 1951, Althea became one of the first black tennis players invited to play at the Wimbledon Championship in London, England. That year, she also won her first international title, the Caribbean Championship in Jamaica. After graduating from college, she took a job teaching physical education, but continued her tennis competitions. In 1955, the U.S. State Department sent her on a goodwill tour of Asia. When the tour was over, she remained abroad, winning 16 of 18 tournaments in Europe and Asia. In 1956, Althea became the first African American to win the French Open. She also won the Wimbledon Doubles with Angela Buxton the Italian National Championship in Rome, and the Asian Championship in Ceylon. In 1957, she won the singles title at Wimbledon and was considered at the time the world champion of tennis, receiving the trophy personally from Queen Elizabeth II. Sometime later, Althea would say, shaking hands with the Queen of England was a long way from being forced to sit in the colored section of the bus. That same year, she won the doubles championship at Wimbledon, too. And when she returned to New York City, she became only the second athlete after Jesse Owens to receive a ticker tape parade, which is pretty ironic considering black people at the time were fighting to be recognized as equal citizens under the law and in all aspects of society. Although Althea was able to break into the tennis world, the racism of the 1950s prohibited the majority of black athletes from integrating into American sports. Her accomplishments served as a rally cry for black people all across the country fighting for civil rights. But to the dismay of many in the black community, she wasn't an activist athlete and remained mum on most civil rights issues. In her first autobiography, I Always Wanted to Be Somebody, published in 1958, she makes her stance on racial issues very clear. I have never regarded myself as a crusader, she wrote. I'm always glad when something I do turns out to be helpful and important to all Negroes or, for that matter, to all Americans, but I don't consciously beat the drums for any special cause. Well, as you can imagine, many black people were disappointed and angry at Althea's disregard for her people. Throughout her career, she continuously negotiated the expectations of her supporters and her adversaries, her patrons in the black community and the white-led National Tennis Association, the black media. Especially expected her to selflessly serve as a representative of her race, but Althea wanted to be treated as an individual first and foremost, not as a member of a specific race or gender. Most of the time, she shied away from speaking openly about the indignities and prejudices she endured and the social barriers she faced in achieving her goals. She wanted to be known as a tennis champion, not a black tennis champion. She had a mind and will of her own, and if that didn't sit well with others, then so be it. In late 1958, after having won 56 national and international singles and doubles titles, including 11 Grand Slam championships, she was the best female tennis player in the world. But unlike today's tennis champions, Althea couldn't make a living playing tennis. The truth, to put it bluntly, she once said, is that my finances were in a heartbreaking shape. Being the queen of tennis is all well and good, but you can't eat a crown. So, the greatest female tennis player in the world retired from the sport she loved at the age of 31 years old to pursue other opportunities. After her tennis career, she continuously reinvented herself, becoming, as my wonderful friend Melissa would say, a multi-potentialite. What the heck is a multi-potentialite, you ask? It's a person who pursues many interests. Hmm, sounds like quite a few people I know. Between 1959 and 1963, she traded in her tennis whites for glamorous evening gowns and released a musical album. Then she put them back on to tour with the Harlem Globetrotters playing tennis matches before their games. She tried acting and was cast in a John Wayne Western and became an accomplished saxophonist. In 1964, Althea became a professional golfer, crossing yet another color line to become the first black golfer on the ladies' professional golf tour. Once again, she faced racism and prejudice just as she had in tennis, but she never let it get to her. In true Althea fashion, she blocked out the noise and focused on playing the game. Over the next 30 years, Althea wrote several books, worked in a number of different professions, including local politics ran a number of national tennis programs, and coached numerous up-and-coming tennis players. At one point, she tried to reignite her tennis career. She even began entering major tennis tournaments, but was unable to compete against the younger, faster players. The one-time queen of the court a fiercely independent trailblazer who satisfied her own aspirations and simultaneously set a path-breaking course for Black athletes, had finally met her match. Time. In the late 1980s, Althea's health began to deteriorate. By 1992, ongoing medical expenses left her in dire financial circumstances. She reached out to multiple tennis organizations requesting help, but no one responded. Her former doubles partner, Angela Buxton, made her plight known to the tennis community and raised nearly $1 million in donations from around the world. Wow, like I said, the power of sisterhood. In 2003, Althea survived a heart attack but died on September 28th the same year. She was 76 years old. Althea's list of awards and accolades are as legendary as her career and are way too numerous to recount for you here. But here are a few highlights. Althea was the first African-American woman named Athlete of the Year by the Associated Press. She made the cover of both Time and Sports Illustrated magazine, I get this, and was inducted into the South Carolina, Florida, and New Jersey Sports Halls of Fame the International Women's Sports Hall of Fame, the National Women's Hall of Fame, and the International Tennis Hall of Fame. And she is listed among Sports Illustrated's top 100 greatest female athletes. My favorite Althea quote sums up her life beautifully. I always wanted to be somebody. If I made it, it's half because I was game enough to take a lot of punishment along the way, and half because... There were a lot of people who cared enough to help me. Althea Gibson had the heart of a champion, and she knew what it took to win. So, what will it take for us to become the champions in our own lives? On a hot August day in 1950, Althea Gibson walked onto the court at Forest Hills, New York, the first African American player to do so, and faced the best women's tennis player in the country. There were nearly 2,000 spectators in the stands, among them hecklers who shouted, Beat the nigger! Althea, strong-willed, tough-minded, blocked them out. Her athletic ability and raw talent made the tennis world stand up and take notice. She didn't set out to make history, but that's exactly what she did. What she accomplished that day, even in defeat forever changed the perception of what is possible, not only for Black people, but for anyone, anywhere, who is faced with seemingly insurmountable odds. As the greatest Black athlete of the mid-20th century, her legacy is enshrined in the record books, on her championship trophies, many of which are on display in national museums, in films and documentaries, and in the names of tennis clubs around the world. She has been inducted into numerous Halls of fame, including the National Women's Hall of Fame in 2002. In 2018, the United States Tennis Association unanimously voted to erect a statue honoring Althea at Flushing Meadows, site of the U.S. Open. Hers is only the second monument erected in honor of a champion. The other statue is of Arthur Ashe, another black tennis legend who walked through the door Althea opened 12 years later. Although it was not her intention, Althea paved the way for other tennis players of color to rise through the ranks and achieve what was once believed to be impossible. In addition to Arthur Ashe, who won his first Grand Slam in 1968, there was Eva Gulagong, an indigenous Australian tennis player who was just one year old when Althea played her first match at Forest Hills. Eva went on to become one of the best players in the world during the 1970s and 80s. Twenty years later, the world would meet the most dynamic sisters in tennis history. In 2002, after the French Open, Venus and Serena Williams were ranked as the number one and number two female singles players in the world. When asked about Althea Gibson in a 2003 interview, Venus Williams said, I am honored to have followed in such great footsteps. Her accomplishments set the stage for my success, and through players like myself and Serena and many others to come, her legacy will live on. Funny how our lives have the ability to touch the lives of people we will never know. Etched on one of the granite blocks of Althea's statue is a quote from her that reads. I hope that I have accomplished just one thing, that I have been a credit to tennis and my country. Althea Gibson lived up to that one thing and much more. In honor of this amazing champion who believed in her ability to win and who let nothing stand in the way of her goals, let's challenge ourselves to find the courage and confidence to develop our own champion mindset and ask ourselves if we're game enough to be the best at whatever we choose to do in this life. Why I love this woman. Once upon a time, Althea Gibson was hailed as the best female tennis player in the world. She played the game with grace, confidence, and determination. She was aggressive, in her own words, mean, and determined to be better, faster, and stronger than her opponents. She trusted in her abilities and believed she had what it took to become a champion. She didn't have to prove it to herself. She knew who she was, and she knew what she wanted. And what she wanted was to prove it to the rest of the world. As the great Billie Jean King once said, and I quote, Althea would walk into a room and you could feel her presence. She was dominant. I think dominant is the perfect word to describe Althea. And when she stepped onto the tennis courts, be it in New York, London, or Paris, she played the game on her own terms as a uniquely gifted and talented athlete whose goal was to be the greatest in her sport. The fact of the matter was, Althea Gibson played to win. Now, in the midst of the civil rights movement, it's indisputable that what she accomplished paved the way for other black athletes in numerous sports, not just tennis, and inspired little black boys and girls to achieve their own dreams. But let's be clear, she did not consider herself a crusader for black rights, a pioneer or a role model. She refused to play the role of the outspoken racial advocate that many in the black community wanted her to play. And therein lies the dilemma. Althea loved tennis. She loved winning, and she loved being a champion. She worked hard to achieve what no black athlete had ever accomplished, but she didn't do it to uplift the black community. She did it for herself. The reality was she cared more about winning matches than being a standard bearer for civil rights. To some back in the 50s and even today, her honest self-awareness and assessment of her personal goals and motives may seem selfish. Maybe so, but I believe to cultivate the mindset of a champion, you need the ability to put yourself first, especially when your goal is to become the very best you can be and achieve what others say is impossible. Isn't it infuriating that when the world is faced with a strong, confident, aggressive, competitive woman, whether in sports, politics, or business, she's considered arrogant, egotistical, unfeminine, a bitch, or even worse. Now, contrast this with the superstar male athletes of today who are unapologetically hyper-focused on winning the Tom Brady's, LeBron James's, or Novak Djokovic's of the world. We call them the GOAT, don't we? Greatest of all time. Well, Althea Gibson was the greatest of her time. What I love most about Althea was her fierce individuality and courage to say to the world, this is who I am, and I refuse to be something that I'm not, to say something I don't believe or feel something I don't feel, just to please other people. She knew what she wanted she wanted to be somebody. She wanted to be a champion. And she was. Althea Gibson is the bright lighter who challenges me to stay true to myself as I strive to become the champion of my own life. To learn more about Althea Gibson's journey to becoming a tennis champion and her many other accomplishments. Click on her portrait on the Aquitaine Project podcast website at www.theaquitainproject.com. There you'll find links and resources about this amazing woman and athlete who made an impact on so many lives and ways to discover your own champion mindset. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Okay, my bright lighters, let's grab life by the balls and become the champions we are meant to be.